Hello, Western Canada. It's Alberta to the Point here, bringing you Tell It Like It Is podcast show on the albertatothepoint.com network. My name is Ambrose Ralph, and we are coming to you from the ATTP command post. Put the dog out, put the kids to bed, or get them some ear protection. Grab your favorite wobbly pop, get comfortable, and you might want to wear a helmet. We are your voice, the voice of conservatives. Let's talk politics. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. Tell it like it is, Conservative Talk Radio. Welcome to the worst show ever. For the left, really excited for today's show. We have our regular segments, Media Lies, BS and Army Stories. We will have Bernard Hancock from Roughneck Nation. The man, the myth, the legend dropped by to talk about politics. And I tell you, right now... People in Ontario who think that roughnecks, oil workers are uneducated, unintelligent fools, I challenge you to debate this man about politics. He will step on you and put you down beyond belief. He is intelligent, smart, and to the point. Our kind of guy. We will look at this past week's video. We will get some feedback video stats. We'll have a regular segment on Heroes and Zeros of This Week in Politics. We'll have Alex from the New Telegraph dropping by and he will talk about the Conservative Party of Canada leadership. He will give us an update on who's in, who's out, and who are the frontrunners. We're starting a new segment on the show. We'll call it Oil and Gas Education. This week we'll talk about Pipeline Leak Detection Technology. And, and we're going to start a new segment called Dumbass of the Week. This week, it's Ontario, and it's going to be Ontario for the very, very foreseeable future. Because Ontario seems to be full of dumbasses, so it's easy for me to find a target. Let's start off with Dumbass of the Week. Have a listen to this. Ontario, you have become the government that you have elected. You are a bunch of left-wing snowflake weak pansies, just like the 79 liberal MPs you elected and sent to Ottawa. I ordered some sound equipment the other day on Amazon to be delivered by Purelater. It was supposed to be, supposed to be delivered overnight, but now it's been over a week. A little bit pissed off, so I phoned Purelater wondering where my package was. It's stuck in Markham, Ontario because of the weather, they said. I assumed... Assume that the weather, maybe there was a snowstorm in Ontario, maybe the snowstorm or maybe a freezing rainstorm closed the roads in the airport. I was wrong. Apparently, Ontario, Markham, Ontario, is shut down because of the cold. Seems valid. I mean, Lake Canada was the coldest place on earth this week. However, after some research on the weather station, the temperature in Markham, Ontario was minus 12C. I repeat, minus 12 C. The temperature I live this week, where most Albertans live, has been in the minus 40s. Minus 12 is a warm day in June in Alberta. I went to work every day this week and so did all my employees, many of which work outside. Minus 40C is no reason to shut down. The question I have to ask you, Ontario, is what the hell is wrong with you? You have become the weak-kneed snowflake pansies like the government that you elected. The two videos that I put out this week about Ontario confirmed, confirmed the shutdown when it's minus 12. 
It, they confirmed that you're a bunch of weak-kneed pansies. In the comments section on our Ontario video, one Ontario pansy told me that in his homeland of Ukraine, the sentence for what he called treason was prison, implying that my videos were treasonous. Treasonous in what we call a democratic society where we have open expression of opinion and free speech. I guess they don't have that in the Ukraine. My reply back to this man was that he was a coward hiding in Canada while his countrymen died in the Ukraine fighting Russia. I told him if he could understand the passion and love I have for my countrymen in Alberta, he would be in the Ukraine right now next to his comrades. Welcome to the revolution, Ontario. Welcome to the revolution. I will have more about Ontario later in the show. It's time for this week's segment of Media, Lies, BS and Army Stories. Let's spin the wheel and see which one we come up with. And it lands on Lies. Let's go to the field and see what the weather is. It's as cold as my ex mother-in-law's hurt. Yeah, that's pretty damn cold. But uh, I like to deal with numbers, so let's ask Google how cold it is today. Hey Google, what's the temperature in Edmonton? In Edmonton, it's currently minus 24. There is currently an extreme cold warning in effect. Hey Google, what's the temperature in Fort McMurray? In Fort McMurray right now, it's minus 31. There is currently an extreme cold warning in effect. Hey Google, what's the temperature in Grand Prairie? The current temperature in Grande Prairie is minus 33. There is currently an extreme cold warning in effect. Hey Google, what are your thoughts on climate change? Trudeau, idiot. Google, you're the best. You're funny. Hey Google, you're awesome. I try. There you have it folks. Google don't lie. Google tells the truth the smartest person on the internet. For this week, that was Media Lies, BS, and Army Stories, all the way from Google. Hello, I'm here today with uh, Alex from the New Telegraph. Uh, how are you today, Alex? I'm doing quite well. Yourself? Awesome, thank you. Hey, so since the last time we talked, there's been a whole bunch of changes in the uh, Conservative Party leadership race. There's been uh, some people drop out and some people uh, put their name in. So how about we start with uh, who's out? Well, I think the notable uh, individual who I think many people uh, uh, suspected would have been a front runner had she uh, declared uh, uh, her spot for as a potential leader for the party was Ronna Ambrose. Um, I think, you know, uh, when she had uh, left as interim leader of the party, she had stated it was uh, on the basis of, you know, spending more time with her family. And I think many people largely suspect that that's the case as well. And, you know, there's rumors going around that she may take the role of a U.S. ambassador uh, to perhaps, um, you know, um, better accommodate her uh, time with family. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, I think most people are, are pretty disappointed that uh, Rona is out. Um, I kind of thought that she was uh, a front runner that could probably win it. Um, was there anybody else that, uh, that dropped out? I don't recall. Um, I think she 
was the only uh, notable um, candidate who had um, uh, not thrown her, uh, thrown their hat in. Um, there's a, I think currently there's a lot of uncertainty in terms of, of people either not wanting to commit to it quite yet or just delaying, um, I guess, declaring their nomination for party leadership. I think um, a good example is Peter McKay, who recently set out, sent out a tweet on his Instagram where he says, quote, I'm in, stay tuned. Um, and perhaps there's another candidate by the name of Pierre Polibert, um, who, according to reports from uh, repeat, uh, reports from the Toronto Star, um, in, uh, and I guess from inside sources uh, close to uh, Pierre, uh, state that there's a possibility that he may run, but nothing is confirmed yet. I think perhaps candidates are waiting uh, perhaps to see um, who is confirmed and they will commit Yeah, I mean, like, uh, right now, I guess uh, Pierre McKay has got to be the front runner, at least the, the one the one that's declared as being the front runner. What, what are your thoughts on Peter? I think Peter McKay, def, uh, compared to uh, the, uh, if he were to be elected uh, by party membership as leader of the party, he would definitely represent a turning of the tide for the party, where um, compared to Andrew Shear's leadership, um, he's definitely a lot more charismatic, definitely a lot more personable with the, um, the general pop, uh, uh, populace, especially amongst the younger crowd, because we've seen pictures of him when he, during his college days or a couple decades ago where he was uh, smoking marijuana, and I think um, for, you know, given some of the um, stereotypes towards conservative perceptions on um, the smoking of marijuana in particular, I think that'll do him, you know, the perception of that is quite key, especially if he hopes to secure support um, from uh, parts of uh, the general populace that we did not do overly, overly well, especially in Ontario and possibly in Quebec and in the Maritimes. Well, yeah, I agree. I think Peter could be, uh, you know, Peter could flush out the old guard, so to speak. Uh, what about Aaron O'Toole? Uh, Jean Charest doing here? Does uh, this guy stand a chance or is this a mimic or a gimmick or what the hell is he doing? Well, um, Jean Charest, um, he's um, been in politics, I would say, uh, the longest compared to any of the other candidates. Um, um, as uh, somebody who, I guess, um, some of the reform conservatives argue is perhaps too liberal 
as just a closeted liberal um, uh, trying to portray himself as a conservative. Um, I think there is a, a real threat, especially if we consider the perspective of a more Western Canadian conservative that he, if he were to be elected as party leader, um, the social conservatives would uh, feel more alienated from the party more than ever. Um, that it would feel us definitely fuel the um, Quebec and Alberta feud that has been going on for quite some time, something that has been inflamed by the current administration under Justin uh, Trudeau. And I think, you know, as a lawyer, um, his uh, dealings with Hawaii um, are definitely uh, concerning. I think something that's been discussed, I think, among some of the conservative EDAs is to perhaps ban Hawaii um, from getting access to Canadian markets because there's concerns that um, the products are yeah, illegally um, um, downloading the personal information of individuals, and there's a security, very much a security threat um, with that as well. Um, well, I heard, uh, I heard a separatist. Know, but the perception of that is not great from some yeah. of the conservative base. Yeah, for sure. I heard a separatist say this week that the best thing could happen to the separation movement right now in Alberta would be if Jean Charest would win the Conservative Party leadership. So what's new over at the New Telegraph, Alex? What uh, what are some articles you guys got going out this week, and uh, what do you got coming coming next week? Um, uh, an article that I'm personally working on is um, a follow-up to my uh, interview I did with Sam Bell, who was a former comms, in, uh, formerly involved with the Wexit movement um, uh, as part of its communications team. And we had a really uh, thoughtful discussion, very open-minded discussion as somebody who's slightly on the uh, pro-federalist in myself versus somebody who's an avid separatist. We heard each other's uh, perspectives out and it's uh, this article is going to be more of an analytical piece um, trying to see from his perspective as to the merits behind whether um, whether separatism would work. Um, that is an article that I'll be releasing uh, either earlier or mid next week. Um, I guess in terms of some of the other writers, um, uh, our editor-in-chief, Travis Gladue Beauregard, uh, he got an exclusive with uh, Chief Jim Boucher um, from Fort Mackay, which is one of the most uh, prosperous First Nations um, um, bands in all of Alberta. He was fortunate enough to get an uh, interview with him, and we got a lot of footage with regard to some of the Indigenous uh, personnel who uh, guest speakers who were there, so we'll be focusing on that. Um, and since, um, as a student at the University of Calgary, I may be getting an interview with uh, Ted Morton and Dr. Jack Morris. Um I'll be sending out an email tonight and see if we can uh, uh, see if there's any uh, chances of that happening. Um, the focus would be largely on um, why we need or uh, why uh, there's support uh, in getting rid of the Canada pension plan uh, and why we need to stop with the equalization transfers and that's why we need to keep more of our money to ourselves and perhaps give it more to um, the Alberta government rather than the federal government uh, because Alberta has been a net contributor to Confederation for many, many decades, especially since the uh, early 1960s when equalization became a thing. Awesome. Uh, that's some really good stuff you got going on there, Alex. 
I enjoy reading uh, your articles. I enjoy reading your paper. Uh, where can uh, our viewers find find your guys? What's your site? What's your Twitter? Um, so our, we, uh, if anybody is um, uh, searching us up on Google, it's thenewtelegraph.ca. Um, our Facebook and Twitter and Instagram handle are the same. It's just the new telegraph. Um, we're mostly active on our Facebook since we're just uh, trying to drive up um, increased uh, viewership. Um, and that's where a lot of uh, the readers uh, uh, tend to be situated anyways or where most of our content is read from. Um, we have some success on Twitter, but it's still it's pretty much its early stages. Uh, but yeah, it's the new Telegraph on Instagram, uh, Twitter, and predominantly on Facebook. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. That's Alex from the New Telegraph. Check them out on Facebook. Check out the webpage at the New Telegraph. .ca. I read their articles. It's a great source of information. It's written from a conservative point of view, and they cover stuff all over Canada and all over the world, and they do a Western focus as well and indigenous stuff. Thanks for dropping by, Alex. I really appreciate uh, you doing this, and uh, it's always a pleasure to hear your political knowledge, sir. Time for a weekly segment of Heroes and Zeros in Politics and Social Events. This is where we will discuss the top hero and the top zero in politics and social events this week with honorable mentions. Let's get at it. For two weeks in a row, this honorable mention as a zero goes to none other than the Conservative Party of Canada. They have a $300,000 entrance fee to become a candidate for their leadership bid. So if you are not rich or know someone who is rich and willing to put up that kind of money for you, you're screwed. If someone does put up that kind of money from you, now you owe them favors and when you're elected, another cycle of corruption starts. Tight new rules for the Conservative Party leadership election have led to businessman and longtime party volunteer Brian Brulette to declare he's no longer making a bid for the job. Brian Brulette was the only outsider the only outsider, the only person who was not an elected MP or previously an elected MP to declare a bid for the leadership, but he has since dropped out. The official rules released requires that you have to have 3,000 people who've been party members for 21 days before they sign someone's leadership nomination papers. 1,000 of those signatures are required by the end of February, giving candidates effectively less than a month to sign up new people. So if you're not a party insider, you not only don't get to see who's on the list of party candidates, how are you going to phone these people and ask them for a bid? It's virtually impossible for an outsider to get even put his name in or her name in to be candidate for the Conservative Party of Canada. So what I say to that, you can dress up a pig, but at the end of the day, it's still a pig. This whole process stinks of Stephen Harper and the old guard. The Conservative Party needs new leadership and a new vision. Some outsiders express interest in running for the party leadership, but the new rules have made it virtually impossible. For that, the Conservative Party of Canada has earned the title of dishonorable mention this week as a zero. Second weekend in a row. For this week's zero, it's none other than, drum roll please. This week's zero is none other than Hari and Megs. The so-called prince and princess 
Well, in Alberta, I tell you what, prince and princess are two words that are reserved for your children when they're young or your grandchildren. They are signs of affection. Albertans, homesteaders, came to Alberta for the specific reason to rid themselves of so-called self-entitled entitled loyalty, to get rid of all the BS from Europe, the stupid taxes that were being imposed on people by the monarch, and we came to Canada, we came to Alberta to get rid of it. Now, I know there's lots of Canadians who are supporting of Megs and Harry, but we're not in Alberta. We do not like the fact that they are coming to Canada. We do not like the fact that the Conservative Party, correction, the Liberal Party, Justin Trudeau is paying for their security half a million dollars per year. In Alberta, we care for our citizens first, foreign countries last, and there's enough people right now mooching off Canada that we do not need more people who are definitely in a position where they can afford to pay their own way. Hari, in an announcement, said he is no longer accepting an allowance from his grandmother, Liz, his grandmother. Hmm, a grown man accepting an allowance from his grandmother. Now, we've all gotten cards in the mail from our grandmothers at Christmas or a birthday with $5 in it, sometimes well into your 20s. It's your grandmother giving you affection. But I'm sure old Harry's getting more than five bucks from Liz. But he told Liz he didn't want his money. But what he is going to accept, he's going to accept his allowance from his father, from Charlie himself. Well, isn't that nice? Stay to hell home, Harry. Don't want you or Megs or your kid in Canada paid for by Canadian taxpayers. Stay to hell home. Raise your kid in London. Raise your kid in England. Don't want you here. For that, Harry and Megs get the honor of this week's zero. Let's move on to this week's heroes. First of all, let's look at the honorable mention. The honorable mention this week goes to the Alberta oil and gas workers. This week, it was exceptionally cold in Alberta, well into the minus 35, 39, minus 42 one night. During the cold snap, with daytime highs around minus 30, nighttime highs at minus 42, because of cheap, reliable, and abundant, abundant fossil fuels, our cars still move, our lights, TVs, and computers, and stoves turn on, and our phones get charged. Ever notice how uh, the oil and gas activists Never talk about climate change when it's minus 40 outside, but I can guarantee you this summer we'll have forest fires. We definitely live in the boreal forest. First forest fire, you'll see articles all over Facebook about climate change. For being a tough son of a bitch and working outside when it's minus 40 to ensure Albertans have fossil fuels, Alberta oil and gas workers get honorable mention as this week's hero. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to talk about this week's hero in politics and social events. Drum roll, please. This week's hero is Mr. John Crosby. Mr. Crosby passed away this week at an age of 88. 
He served as a member of parliament under Brian Mulroney, served in uh, as justice minister, he served as finance minister, and he also served as uh, minister of fisheries. Uh, Mr. Crosby is the hero because he spoke his mind. Actually, he had blunt honesty. Crosby long said that he preferred honesty to political correctness, a motto he maintained for many years. This was a man who did not have a political handler. He did not have someone in his ear that was telling him, Sir, say this because it will make you feel good. He did not have somebody giving him sound bites. When he was asked a question, he gave an answer. And he gave an honest, sometimes blunt and brutally honest answer that sometimes people didn't like. But he was honest, he was straight up, and he was to the point, and he spoke from his heart. Mr. Crosby said many things during his days in politics, so many that people have actually written uh, books called Crosbyisms. Those are quotes from Mr. Crosby himself, so I've put a couple together here with that I'm going to share. Of course, there was the public feud with Sheila Copps, the uh, liberal MP. This is a feud that both have, both have acknowledged that they uh, played up in the media to further their own career. But Mr. Crosby has said some things. The most, one of the most famous quotes uh, in British Columbia at a dinner was, Pass the tequila, Sheila, and lay down and love me again. A comment he subsequently acknowledged was ill-considered. He would later again rattle feminist and progressive with his recurring references. In the late 80s and the early 90s, in Parliament, he uh, referred to four women as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. In reference to Cobb's fellow MPs, Don Black, Mary Clancy, and Judy Rebick. Clark Crosby had lots of others. During an interview with CBC, he said at the end of the interview, I've spoken too long, I've said too much, I've been too frank, and I don't give a damn. In the House of Commons, he said, Mr. Speaker, I have no information that any officials from the Department of Justice did anything improper in this manner. There was one official from the Department of Justice who, unwisely, took a phone call from a Liberal MP. Again in the House, Mr. Speaker, I am glad the Honorable Gentleman finally got around to asking me about this question. Because if you want an answer, you have to go to the horse's mouth. In this case, Mr. Speaker, the other end of the horse asked the question. In reference to the Government of Canada selling off the Crown Corporation, which was Canadian National, CN Rail, he said, I think all of CN's, I said, I think I said all of CN's non-rail assets. Now, unless the CN Tower can go choo-choo-chewing along, it is a non-rail asset. And presumably, the Honorable Member knows where he can put the CN Tower. And the last one, my favorite, being that we're talking about sovereignty so much in Alberta, in reference to somebody telling a Newfoundland joke, he said, we're not supposed to be as intelligent as you are on the mainland. I guess it's true because we voted to join you in 1949. For that, Mr. John Crosby passed away. Rest well, sir. At the age of 88, you were a true politician that spoke your mind, stood up for the truth, and answered questions properly. Thank you for your service. With that introduction, it's time to take a look at this week's videos. 
This past week, we did two videos. They both had a combined 70,000 views. Our combined viewership for this week was 120,000. We're trending to be about a half a million for the month. We told Ontario this week how it was, and we will continue, continue to remind Ontario that they elected 79 Liberal members to Parliament. 79 Liberals from Ontario. The trolls and haters were out in full force. You dealt with them professionally and with courtesy, as you always do. There is no swearing or arguments on this page. Debate, don't argue. Hit them with facts. For you haters, I'm telling you, I've long, long since stopped giving a damn on what people think about me. I am mission-focused and direct. If you don't like it, don't listen. The videos were the truth, and sometimes the truth stings. Lots of Ontario residents said, don't paint us with the same brush. Lots of people came on the page and said that. It's all Toronto's fault. They were pointing the finger. While I despise Toronto as the epicenter of what's wrong with Canada, it's not just Toronto. They have 25 seats, all Liberal. The other 52 seats came from all over Ontario, except for Northern Ontario, it seems. Seems like Alberta has most of its support in Northern Ontario. We had lots of support and positive feedback this week. We had almost 100 new page followers, and we had lots of feedback voicing support for Alberta and say they personally voted Conservative in the election. For you people, for you Conservatives, I'm not attacking you. But at the same time, you can't just hold your member of Parliament accountable every four years. We must be involved together, vocal, and challenge the lies of the left and push our agenda. We can actually learn from the Liberals. And as bad as I like to say this, they do have their shit together. And uh, I admire what they're doing a little bit. They are united. Conservatives, you anger me. You piss me off. I'm telling you. There's only one shade of red in the Liberal Party. Unified. As bad as Trudeau is, no one threw him under the bus when he went, got downgraded to a minority government. But seconds after minority government was declared, the knives of the Conservatives came out looking for sheer. In the Liberal Party, if you don't toe the line, if you don't follow the party line, you're banished. Philpot, Raybolt. Conservatives have multi-shades of blue. What the hell is a red Tory? What is a social conservative and a fiscal conservative? We need one shade of blue and blue only. United. You're either a conservative or you're not. You can't be a liberal and a conservative at the same damn time. We're all on the same team as conservatives, so don't take my wake-up call and conservatives call to duty personally. Before we make changes in the party, we have to look at who we are first. We must be united and stand together. If you are in Ontario and you voted Conservative but are stuck with a Liberal member, give your Liberal member a phone call, email, give them a visit. I tell you what, Liberals, they just love hearing from Conservatives. Give them an ulcer. God knows I've given Jason Kenney a couple. Phone them and ask them what is going on in Alberta. Tell them your support for pipelines. We need to hold our elected officials accountable. I challenge you, Ontario, this week, Phone your Liberal Member of Parliament if you have one and uh, tell them how you feel. Don't tell them that you're a Conservative. Don't tell them you voted Conservative, but voice your opinion. Because I tell you what, they need to be held accountable. We can't hold them accountable every four years. We'll have more videos coming up. We'll alternate between videos and podcasts. Do a podcast once a week and a video the following week. That's our weekly summary of our video.
Ladies and gentlemen, I'm very pleased to welcome to the show today the man, the myth, the legend, none other than Bernard Hancock from Roughneck Nation with a view from the field. How are you today, sir? Excellent. Got the day off, so I'm doing pretty good. How are you today? Good, thanks, Bernard. I see some of your tweets there over the past week, and of course you've been uh, working out outside your rig hand, right? Yeah, you betcha. I, uh, I roughneck on a, on a service rig. Right now we're just out in the gas well doing uh, a little bit of a completion there with these gas lift mandrels and stuff, but today it's nice. I got the day off because they're just wirelining on location. They just need someone to run the pump pretty much, so the roughnecks and the derrick hand got the day off, so I went and got myself some warmer socks because it's pretty chilly out these days it's cold man it's like 40 below like how do you work in that dude i remember when i was working Derek, and it's just so difficult to deal with and uh, you're always cold you just learn to deal with it but how do you do it uh i just think about the paycheck honestly but uh no i mean i, I almost wish that um labor law gave us a dollar or two an hour extra to work in extreme cold because it, it really is torture working in that cold, especially when you go like two, three hours without a break and your feet are numb. You have to keep going over to the steam line to warm your hands. It's like, uh, yeah, you just you get through it. But when you stop feeling, having feeling in your extremities, that's when you need to go inside and warm up. Because man, frostbite is no joke. No doubt, man. I like that idea. I like getting, uh, you know, like an extreme weather uh, type payment. Eh? That's a good idea. That's something definitely oh, we could... we don't even get a bonus for working night shift. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's tough, man. Like, you know, being, being um, a conservative doesn't mean that we can't use the government to apply some measure of fairness in our society. Like, with labor laws like that, I mean, I think oil companies would fight it hand and tooth. But, it, I mean, it's common sense. It's what's right. If I'm working out there... Yes, the other day it was 38 below, minus 47 with the wind chill. Working in that, even compared to minus 25, it's a huge difference. It's a lot harder, and it's a lot more dangerous, you know? So, I mean, I think things like that, like having a little bit of a cold weather bonus or something, we got to look into stuff like that. I agree, man. So, you're, I think following your Twitter and following your political uh, career, you're kind of like me, where you kind of just fell into politics because, number one, you care so much about Alberta, and you care so much about uh, oil and gas and, and western people that we both just started a movement so you've been involved with the fcp and the and the ppc so tell me a little bit about the fcp maybe we'll start on first well i'm involved with any group i'm involved with the use i was involved with the ucp as well i mean i was part of that unity movement i was a, a member right from the start until i ditched the membership when it turned out to be a bunch of bump that we were sold but you know like it's just i'm involved in any i don't like to be a partisan I don't like being like part of a gang or a crew or a group. I like to push policy, not, you know, partisan politics. But that's led me to, you know, like like this past federal election. I was going looking for some guys for the CPC, like Terry Diot down in Edmonton. But other guys like here in Grand Prairie, I wanted to see Doug Birchall of the PPC do well. So it, it just depends, you know, because politics is local. It's not just the party and the leader. It's who you're working with in your community. That's a big part about it. But yeah, I've been involved with the FCP, and you know that was um, a very interesting idea. Um, and I think it has a lot of potential, but there's a lack of organizational capability right now with it. And the other thing is, the FCP started up with less than a year before the election, and there was no time to build the party. 
And the other thing is, this last election in Alberta, I don't think it was so much the people love Jason Kenney. It's that the people hated Rachel Notley, and they were desperate. I mean, we could not go on with another four years of the NDP, and they were desperate. Even in conservative strongholds where conservatives are winning with 70% of the vote, 80% of the vote, we would still hear from people who were like, I'm afraid of the NDP, so I can't split the vote and support you guys. I have to support the UCP. I agree. So, I, mean, I mean, like I, I said on yeah, this page I think, uh, that, uh, yeah. I said on this page that Kenny is just a seat warmer. And the whole point of that election was to displace the NDP. Absolutely right. Well, why do you think he's a place warmer? What <laughs> makes you say that? Well, it was to get rid of the uh, the FCP, or correction, to get rid of the NDP. I mean, like anybody could have won that election, uh, other than Kenny. Kenny was the guy that everybody wanted. But uh, you know, a monkey could have won that election, to be honest with you, because everybody was concentrated on getting rid of the NDP versus getting a good government in place. Exactly, and that's a very particular quality of Canadian politics: is that people in Canada they vote politicians out. They don't vote them in. I don't know if that speaks to the uh, paucity of quality and um, good intentions in our political representatives, but um, yeah, it's uh, people really wanted, we could not have gone on for another four years. It was an experiment, and even Rachel Notley herself, she was elected out of hatred for Alison Redford and the Progressive Conservative Party, and the utter inability of the uh, Wildrose Party to, to win. You know, it's like they always seem to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory, the Wild Rose, whether it was the Lake of Fire in 2012, I believe, or then Danielle Smith pulling the turncoat and, you know, screwing over the membership. It's like every time we get close to the populist kind of little guy getting in power for the conservative movement, it always gets sabotaged. Something right. always goes wrong. Agreed. You know, and that's why people like me now, like, I'm very cynical. Like, is it worth it getting involved, being, like, being told all this stuff you want to hear for two years while they need your help and your support. And then the second they get in a general election, they totally break their promises to you. What, like, what's the point, Matt? Agreed. So with the, with the Conservative Party of Canada leadership uh, coming up here in, in June and a bunch of people declaring, what's your thoughts on that, Bernard? Um, I see the same strategy the party's been using since the Harper years, and I don't any difference like that's the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result um you know i really like a lot of what uh, pierre poilev has to say i'm looking forward to what his candidacy is going to entail but i don't know man because i mean i was super excited on andrew Shear. i supported andrew Shear in the leadership um and he said a lot of things about giving power to um constituents and representatives he said he was against the carbon tax well, then he said he's for carbon pricing, introducing heavy emitters carbon tax. So it was a lie. He said that he's going to balance the budget in two years. Sure did. Then it's an election happens. He's like, oh, we'll balance it sometime in the second term. So that was a lie. He said, uh, talking about defunding the CBC, that was a lie. He even supported the Paris Climate Accord in the parliament there right after he was elected leader. And it's like, this goes against everything, all the messaging you've been sending to your membership. So, I mean... I like a lot of things Paulette says, but to me it doesn't matter what a politician says or believes, it's about what they can get done. And being an establishment politician, a guy who's been a politician since he's been a kid, I'm very skeptical that Paulette can bring anything different. 
to the race. Now there's other candidates too. Peter McKay is making a comeback. That's uh, that's going to be an interesting campaign. But Peter McKay is a red Tory. He represents the wing of the Progressive Conservative Party that kind of accepted. He's, Peter McKay is like the equivalent in Alberta provincial politics of a disaffected Calgary progressive conservative that's now found power in the CCP. <laughs> that, that's absolute truth. I mean, like, he's from uh, Nova Scotia, and Nova Scotia is traditionally a, a liberal stronghold out of Maritimes. And uh, you're absolutely right. Peter McKay is a red Tory, and he'll be uh, to the left on social issues and social policies. I mean, like, th I don't think that really helps the West, does it? Well, that doesn't bother me. Like, to me, like, these issues like gay marriage, abortion, marching in pride parades, they're inconsequential. They're landmines that the left and the media are setting up for us to trip over. And then we're ignoring the issues where we could win. Um, talking about the working class, like, I was reading something about males in Toronto haven't seen any increase to their wages since the year 2000. Like, that's the strongest voting group is young men, like, you know, uh, 18 to 35 young men. And they're so politically disaffected. And there's issues for the working class just about tax fairness um, for working poor, about raising the ceiling for tax exempt for federal income tax. Um, that would work so much better than raising any sort of minimum wage. All these are a lot of cases, provincial issues. But I'm saying, like, um, automation. How many jobs in service and retail and even in resources, heavy industry, are we losing to automation? So what is replacing employment for these people? What's giving them meaning? And conservatives aren't exploring these issues because they're not sexy. Um, or even issues like, say, in Quebec, Bill 21. That is so anti-conservative. It's the state being tyrannical. It's violating religious freedom and equal opportunity to participate in civil society. And this is an issue where we could show progressives that we're going to stand up for what's right, not what's popular. And, but we don't do it because we're so beholden to thinking that somehow Quebec will ever vote for us. I've, al I've, always, said, I've always said that politicians uh, give sound bites based upon public opinion and what they, they believe their handler is telling them to be truth versus what's real and what should be done. Um, you're absolutely right there, Bernard. And that's why they lost this last election, because Scheer had to run everything by his closed little circle and have everything focus tested. And when you do that and try to do what's most popular, you end up pleasing nobody and pissing off everyone. Yeah, there's, there's no, no realism, right? And everyone's just kind of mildly let down. There's no realism. They're, they're not speaking from their heart. And they're, they're, Canadians are, are looking at them as they can't relate to what it's like to be here in Alberta and working during the day and paying your mortgage or, or anywhere in Canada, making a car payment and struggling with, with making ends meet and all that stuff. So closer to home here, um, what's your thoughts on the Wexit movement? What's your thoughts on sovereignty for, for Alberta? Oh, this is a heady issue. <laughs> <laughs> this could be a whole new show. Yeah, well, like, I'm, re I'm, I'm really uh, excited about the potential and you know what? Like, it, it, this is a real. This is something conservatives aren't addressing either uh, in federal politics. Is a is a fact that Albertans like myself, I don't feel proud to be a Canadian anymore. And whereas, like, you know, five years ago, I would have been proud to say that Alberta, you know, through our prosperity, is able to help pull the weight 
to make sure, say, some kid in Cape Breton has good teachers at his school. It's like now, like, let the kids deal with less teachers. Screw them. What do I care about Cape Breton? Like, this isn't a country where really, like, like I'm loyal to Alberta now. You know, this is an abusive relationship. And, of course, Alberta every time keeps going back to their abuser, thinking that things are going to be different. When if a man beats you, that says something right there about his innate character. And it says something about that there's something wrong with Confederation. So right now, I'm not necessarily a separatist supporting Brexit. I think it's good what they're doing, though, but I'm a sovereigntist. And I think, and this is the big thing, no conservative will offer this, is if Alberta can't get a fair deal, we need a vote on separation. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right there. And that vote sums up how everybody in Alberta who is really on defense are feeling. Everybody that I talk to and from our, on our site, they're either full-blown separatists or they're thinking about it. And the ones that are thinking about it are exactly like you are. They're becoming loyal Albertans and Canadians second. And uh, the rest of Canada has to wake up and understand that. Yep, we took the Canadian flag down off our rig. Screw that, man. We put the company flag up instead and we got two flags on the crown of our rig. The Alberta flag and our company flag. We're not flying the Maple Leaf. Uh, awesome. After how the Maple Leaf, like how Canada treats our energy workers here in Alberta, there's no good reason for it. And that's what's sad is in Quebec separatism, it's a cultural thing. And it, it's about a dream of a separate country. Whereas in Alberta, it's an exasperated, um, the, the people, it's like they're, la- they're, they're on their last rope and they don't want to be separatists. They have to because literally their livelihoods are being stolen from them. And it's not, and people like, they don't want, it's not like they came into this dreaming of an Alberta free country. They came into this because of how they're treated by Canada. And now it's like second time on the merry-go-round. We've seen this in the 80s. And none of the issues that were important to us were ever resolved. Harper said the West wants in. What did we get? Tripoli Senate, did we get that? No. Did we get fair and equitable political representation? No. We didn't get anything, really. Um, And Harper didn't even have the foresight to stack federal courts with conservative justices or ensure that more conservative senators were appointed. So, like, you know, it's Alberta, it is a taxation without representation. And all I know is the status quo needs to change. And so I think Wexit, what they need is legitimate leadership. Um, They need to make it not being the yellow vest crowd, you know, the far right. They need, because there's issues with separation, like we could have uh, a universal basic income, Ralph Box. We could reintroduce Ralph Box. We could have the best schools and universities. We could have a great healthcare system. We could have the best roads. But instead, for every man, woman, and child in Alberta, an average of $5,000 leaves Alberta more than comes back to the federal government. Think about what you could do with an extra five grand that either you have in your own pocket or the government's spending on your behalf. Yeah, so Wexit, it needs to be a populist movement, and that means not limiting it to right-wing fringe, kind of, because that's really off-putting to a lot of people. And, you know, there's also, like, there's a lot of ideas right now, like, um, I just, I want to see some vision, and I want to see some positivity. I just, I don't want to see people complaining about how bad whoever is, because it's easy to bitch and moan, but, okay, what, what better idea do you have, like, realistically? I mean, like, on our, on our page, uh, Albert, to the point, Bernard, we welcome anybody that's got a political view. We, I'm, I'm a conservative, 
but we welcome people from NDP, socialist views, liberals, uh, people from all over to come there and share ideas and give feedback and to have debates, not arguments. And you're absolutely right. It can't be a conservative movement or a right side movement. It has to be an Alberta movement. And Albertans who are socialists, who are NDP supporters, who are liberal supporters, or are conservatives, no matter which party you back or which beliefs you have, if you are an Albertan and you are Alberta first, then you can get behind sovereignty. Now, it's, it's a choice of the person when they go in the voting booth, the polling booth, and it's a secret in how they vote. They don't have the vote for sovereignty. But this is a movement that every Albertan could absolutely get behind. Yeah, and it, that, that's, I want this to be inclusive and not like, you know, off-putting to people. Like, um, you're exactly right. Um, these days, people, especially young people, they, they, you know, they don't confine themselves to one party. Like, back in the days, whether you're a liberal or a conservative, it was like whether you're a Catholic or a Protestant. It's just like you're part of that team because that's the way your family voted, you know, even if they suck. It's like being an Oilers fan. Like, they're terrible for years and years, and you still faithfully support them. Like, young people aren't going to do that anymore. If a politician and a party become irrelevant, they want something new. Um, and there's issues on the left that I think they have smarter... Like, I support safe injection sites and harm reduction. You know, I, I support government getting out of marriage. And I, I, I think people should be able to live and practice faith however they want and live in their own home and teach their kids what they, however they want, whether I think it's right or not, because... I think freedom of choice like I'm just saying man I'm not um, you can't put me in a box like let's talk about an issue and find out the smartest way to deal with it freedom Um, of choice yeah like so I think when like there's right now for separatism or any sort of sovereignist ideas and there's a difference between separatism and sovereignism sovereignism just means we want Alberta to have more decision making capability over its own affairs separatism means we want to leave the country Right. So but right now, this is just forming like the nucleus is coming together. Um, so let's not limit it to people. And, you know, like I, I just, yes, politician, there's so politics like you said earlier, it's a career, like a career, something you make money off of, man. I, this ain't a career for me. I do it because I, I like doing it. I like pissing off powerful people. But um, I, you know, I, I see that um, there's a lot of people who are in politics for self-interest, uh, to make a name for themselves, to make money. And that's been the problem with Western separatism in the past, is it's been either people who want to make a name for themselves or people who want to, you know, it, it's not, it, yeah, I don't know. I just, I don't want to see people let down again. That's absolutely, that's absolutely true. And what we came together to fold the Wild Rose Party for, and now what we have under Jason Kenney, like, it's such a letdown and such a disappointment I'm not, I don't want to keep being let down. That's absolutely true. Ladies and gentlemen, anybody who says roughnecks and oil workers on ed, are uneducated and uninformed, I welcome you. I actually dare you to debate with this gentleman. Ladies and gentlemen, Bernard Hancock, a view from the field from Roughneck Nation. Thanks for dropping by, Bernard. Hey, thanks, Ambrose. I appreciate you. Keep it turning to the right.
Ladies and gentlemen, one of the things that we want to do at the Alberta Two to Point Political Activist Foundation is to educate. We can't just be a political site that points out problems that are wrong with our political system or are wrong with Canada in, in general. We want to be able to educate people in Canada and people around the world about Alberta oil and gas. That is one of our priorities. So we're introducing a new segment and we're going to call it Alberta Oil and Gas 101. And this week we're going to talk about pipelines. So there's a lot of information out there, false information circulated by the left about pipelines that they're rickety pipes and that they leak all over the ground and they're nothing but an environmental disaster. That is so far from the truth, I don't know even how to address all those points. A pipeline, the best way to describe it is you put a steel pipe into the ground and you pump fluid from point A to point B. And it doesn't leak, there's an incredible amount of technology that goes into fabricating that pipe and to monitoring it. What I say to people that say the pipelines leak, I say, you know, there's a lot of pipe in your house. In your house, you have a pipeline going into your uh, kitchen uh, sink for hot and cold water. You have a pipeline going to your dishwasher in and out. You have a, a line going from into your bathroom for hot and cold water to your shower and to your sink. You have lines going into your toilet for water and, of course, for sewer going out of your house. And then you have a natural gas line going into your furnace if people have natural gas or uh, people more dominantly on the East Coast have uh, home heating oil that's going into your furnace and of course you have a hot water line going into your hot water boiler there's a lot of pipe in your house and there's a lot of uh, fabrication there's a lot of uh, technology put into that pipe and the fittings are put together properly they're properly sealed and the right pipe and the right fittings are used do they ever leak no they don't well, some houses they do, as the houses get old and the houses that are 50 to 100 years old, you have to replace the pipes over time, they do wear out. But generally speaking, if you've got a, a relatively new house, you should not have problems with pipe in your house that's leaking. And if you do, well, you got a problem with your house and you go back to the person who built it. So that's how I compare layman's terms to uh, pipeline and pipes in and out of your house. Throughout a city, throughout a town, there is an endless, endless amount of pipes going through a city or town. You know, water pipes, sewer pipes, wastewater. Um, again, they don't leak. Years ago, when we started doing pipe pipelines, I mean, like you're looking at 50 years ago, the uh, original Trans Mountain Pipeline was built in 1957. The original Trans Mountain Pipeline was built in 1957, and we haven't had any leaks to date. The Trans Mountain Pipeline that Trudeau purchased is actually a, another pipe that they're going to lay down next to the current one, which is, uh, what, 70-something uh, years old. So, as technology improves, technology and monitoring uh, leaks in uh, pipelines has it's improved exponentially since the smartphone and since the internet and, of course, computer technology. Advanced computer software programs analyze data about a Pacific pipeline. A profile is created showing how the pipeline performs in normal conditions, flow rate, pressure, and temperature for every meter of pipe. Then if sensors in the pipeline detect a change that differs from the, pro from the profile, the pipeline can be shut down and inspected. If a leak develops, it can be detected faster. There's so much technology out there. The technology can detect invisible vapors that indicate 
the smallest pinhole leaks. Specialized video cameras can detect evaporated hydrocarbons from, from hydrospheric images, infrared cameras. These cameras are sensitive enough. Get this. These cameras are sensitive enough to detect extremely low volumes of evaporated hydrocarbons within a two-kilometer radius of the camera. Now, these cameras are so sensitive that they can be mounted on a helicopter. The helicopter can fly the pipeline right away, and it can detect up to two kilometers if there's a pinhole the size of the top of your big pin in that pipeline because it's emitting hydrocarbons. Then the pipeline is shut in. There's a, they excavate the pipeline. The problem is identified and fixed. And there's no spill or leak. There's all kinds of other things that they use. Uh, sensing true pressure changes. Uh, you know, if you have a pressure gauge on the pumping end and a pressure gauge on a receiving end, and there's a difference in the pumping pressure, obviously there's a problem with the pipeline and the pipeline is shut in. You can also, we also do what we call releasing the hounds. Pipeline operators may use specially trained dogs to search for leaks. Dogs are wonderful leak detectors, thanks to a nose that no human or machine can match. Their lightweight also makes them ideal for even most environmentally sensitive areas. They are quite determined too. Dogs can keep going and going, cover a lot of ground very quickly. We can use infrared, we can use dogs, we can use an incredible amount of uh, sensors that are on the new pipelines that are being built right now. There's actually technology where you can mount sensors directly on that pipe and that pipe can detect the very smallest pinholes that are in that pipe and discover problems before they get too big and there's a spill. So it's not a rickety pipe, it's not a piece of junk that we put into the ground. The pipe is actually built in Canada, in Hamilton, Ontario, and I'm very certain that the uh, steel workers in Hamilton take great pride in producing a good product and good steel, just like every welder that you ever want to talk about want to produce good fabrication. So all the lies that are being spread by the left about pipelines are false, and I hope that uh, my little segment uh, helped you understanding uh, pipelines. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the final word. An absolute tragedy that occurred in Iran with Flight 752. All those lives lost for no reason. My deep heartfelt condolences to the victims and their families. So many sad stories. Flight 752 was scheduled from Tehran to Kiev, operated by Ukrainian International Airlines. On January 8, 2020, the Boeing 737 was shot down shortly after takeoff from Tehran International Airport by the Islamic Revolutionary Guard of the Iranian military. They shot two surface-to-air missiles at the aircraft. The military attack on a civilian aircraft was attributed to human error. All 176 passengers and crew were killed. Was it human error or a deliberate attack by Iran's military? We will never know the real answer. The one thing I can say with certain is that there are people in this world to want to hurt Canadians. Yes, to hurt us. How could this be? Don't people love us? Love our peaceful way of life and sunny ways? Doesn't everyone want to come live in our beautiful country of Canada? Yes, we have a beautiful country. But not all people want to come live here and adapt our ways. Some people don't like us, nor do they like the things that we stand for. They actually want to kill us. 
If you disagree, you are very naive and self-centered to believe otherwise. Canada is not, not the peace-loving country you think it is, nor are we the envy of the world outside of our own self-centered borders. We used to be, not anymore. The vast majority of Canadians have no clue we have been fighting ISIS and Iran proxies and Iranian-sponsored terrorists for two decades, for 20 years. 158 Canadian soldiers died in, in Afghanistan while at war. Hundreds of others were wounded and maimed, and I don't just mean physically. The vast majority died from roadside bombs and IEDs, improvised explosive devices. The parts, explosives, and technical knowledge to build and detonate these IEDs came from Iranian proxies. Iranian proxies are the largest supplier of weapons to Al-Qaeda and to the Taliban. The same Al-Qaeda and Taliban who killed Canadians. The same Al-Qaeda and Taliban who killed Canadians. These are the same people that also our soldiers killed. In 2001, after the airplanes took down the World Trade Centers, Canada stood shoulder to shoulder with our best friend and closest ally. To aid what was once our best friend, Canada went to war in 2001, and we have been at war for 19 years since in the Middle East. Currently, Canada operates a special forces unit in Iraq, and if you believe that these troops are there solely on a training mission, like the state-run CBC News would lead you to believe, I have a piece of property with a Pacific Ocean view that is pipeline accessible, ready for sale. Canada is a weapons manufacturing country. We sell guns and weapons that kill people. Yes, we build weapons, sell them around the world, and those weapons kill people. The weapons are manufactured in the Canadian heartland of Quebec and Ontario, all in the name of liberal job creation and job preservation. The country's weapons sales to Saudi Arabia are scandalous, and recent deals with the Kurds are likely to end in the same disaster. From McLean's magazine, I quote, Canada signed a controversial $15 billion deal that Liberals inked with the Saudis last year. That deal, negotiated by the Harper Conservatives but ultimately approved by the Liberals, involved the sale of an undisclosed number of armored vehicles, reportedly including the LAV-3. Built by General Dynamics in London, Ontario, the LAV-3 is Canada's most powerful domestic-produced land-based light tank. That in itself is cause for concern. These tanks were used by Saudi Arabia against civilians in Yemen, civilians who are backed by the Iranian government. There is a serious state of public denial in Canada that tools of war manufactured in this country do not kill people. Is it the public's lack of common sense, belief in the state-run CBC media, public denial of the obvious? Take your pick, Canada. If anyone is still in a state of shock that someone would shoot down a plane full of us, there you go. Welcome to the real world. You see, this is no longer about pipelines in Alberta or about oil. It's well beyond that. If Ontario and Quebec want to build weapons of war to kill people, that's your choice. Accept the consequences. Alberta did not agree to this, nor do we support it. We do not agree with publicly slamming the President of the United States and then wondering why they didn't tell Canada about the attack on the airport in Baghdad and the dangers of traveling to Iran. If you call Trump an idiot, he will treat you like one Trudeau. I do not support Trump, nor do I oppose his actions, 
I am neutral, but I will acknowledge that he is the democratically elected representative of our closest friend and ally. Like Trump or hate Trump, he is the man who sits in the Oval Office at the historic Resolute Desk, and that makes him the most powerful man in the world. I suggest that Trudeau put away his yoga mat and his surfboard, find himself some golf clubs, and make nice. And tomorrow morning, when you shave, step six inches closer to the razor, for God's sakes. The actions of the Conservative and Liberal governments in Ottawa, all in the name of job creation for Quebec and Ontario, endangers Albertans traveling abroad. Alberta wants out. When we talked to Bernard, Bernard summed up how Albertans feel. We were once loyal Canadians. I was willing to give my life for my country, my country of Canada, when I served in the military. But now we are being forced into a corner. We don't want to leave Canada, but Ontario is forcing us to leave Canada. Welcome to the revolution. That concludes this week's show. Thank you to our guests, Alex and Bernard, for coming on the show. But most importantly, thank you for listening and thank you for your continued support. My name is Ambrose Ralph for the AlbertaToThePoint.com network. And this was Tell It Like It Is, Conservative Talk Radio. Stay warm, be nice to yourself, and be nice to each other. God bless.